You are listening to the Faith Church Podcast. Learn more about our church at faithinchandler.com. Today is St. Patrick's Day, and probably for many of you, St. Patrick's Day means you wear what? Wear green, right? And it has something to do maybe with leprechauns or three-leaf clovers or perhaps maybe even drinking green beer or something along those lines. And I want to tell you today that St. Patrick's Day is not really about any of that. Uh, That's become tradition through the way that people have chosen to celebrate. Uh, But Patrick is, is really nothing like what people made him out to be or what he's come to be known for. When you look back at history, there's several things that, that are about Patrick that really, that really they strike against the, the narrative or the tradition that is celebrated typically on St. Patrick's Day. First of all, St. Patrick or Patrick was not Irish. He was actually English. And he ended up in Ireland because he was kidnapped by pirates, Irish pirates, who brought him over there as a slave. He was there for six years, and then he escaped and went back to England. And after 20 years of ministry as a pastor, he felt God calling him to go to Ireland as a missionary. So that's his connection to Ireland. The other thing is that no one, no church, no group, no body of believers has ever named Patrick officially to be a saint. He's just become called St. Patrick because of Irish pride, uh, because they want to lift him up as this saintly figure. And if Patrick were to hear himself called a saint, he probably would have, he would probably take issue with that because he did not think of himself as a saint. In fact, in his, his confession, his book, Confession, he wrote this about himself. I am Patrick, a sinner and a very unsophisticated man. I am the least of all the faithful and to many, I'm the most despised. So he didn't consider himself to be a saint. And even people who look back at some of his writings, one of his biographers named Letcher said that Patrick's Latin, and that was the language that they wrote in uh, in that time, was simple, awkward, laborious, sometimes ambiguous, and occasionally unintelligible. And so he's this pastor, but he, he, he wasn't this profound, prolific writer or theologian. So what is it that, that sets Patrick apart? Why is it that we have a day... March 17th every year, that we celebrate this man. Because 20 years after he had returned from Ireland as a slave, 20 years after he had served as a pastor in the Church of England, at the age of 48, which was well beyond the life expectancy at that time, so he was kind of like at the end of his life, the end of his journey in that day, he has a dream And in his dream, he can hear someone with an Irish accent saying, will you show us the way to God? Will you come tell us the gospel? And Patrick took that as his personal call to go back to Ireland and share the message of Jesus Christ. Now, he he did it in a way that was pretty unique, especially for his day. And the Celtic way of evangelism, that book tells us that when Patrick went back to Ireland from England, he actually recruited 12 people to go with him. And so he goes over with this team of 12, and they would go into a village, and they would begin to share the gospel with people. And when people would respond and they would put their faith in Jesus, they'd begin to train them and lead them and help them develop their faith. 
And then they would leave two of their team there in that village, and they'd take two or three of the people in that village who had gotten saved and take them with them to the next town. And so by doing this, Patrick was making sure there were two of these leaders who could stay and continue to disciple the people in that village, bringing these two followers along with him, these new converts along with him, so he could continue to disciple them. And eventually down the road, after spending some time with these church leaders, spending some time with these people who were following God, they would be ready one day down the road that be left in a village. And every village they went to, they would leave a couple and they would take a couple with them. And through this methodology of doing evangelism and discipleship, God did an incredible thing. Now, when I use the word discipleship, what does that mean? Well, at its, at its root, discipleship is the ongoing work of Christ in our lives as we follow Jesus. As we continue to follow Jesus and we grow closer to him, we experience this difference he makes in us. That's discipleship. And to become a disciple is this ongoing pursuit of a relationship with Jesus. You see, I've talked to you about Lent being the season of repentance and renewal. And today we're going to talk about it being a, a season of revival. But I want you to see that when we talk about a seed becoming a plant, when we talk about a, a tree that's dormant coming back to life in the spring, what we're pointing to is that there's this moment that God makes a difference in our lives, but this moment isn't the end, it's the beginning. It's not the finish line, it's the starting line. It's the beginning of this ongoing work that God makes in our lives. And in Mark chapter 4, Jesus gives us a parable about this transformation that happens in us. Now, before I jump into this parable, let me be clear on what a parable is. A parable is a story, a simple story that Jesus would use to communicate a simple lesson or a simple truth about himself or about Scripture. So when he was talking to these people, he would, he would use examples that they could, they could understand. He would talk to them about a shepherd with his sheep, and he would say, I am the good shepherd. And just like a good shepherd knows the names of his sheep, I know the names of my people, and they hear my voice and they follow me. Just like these people who worked on farms would understand seeds, he uses seeds as an analogy for the truth that he's trying to share with them. He's taking the, the complex powerful truth of God and putting it down on, on their level where they can understand. And by the way, that, that's our heartbeat here at Faith Church. That's what we want to do. We want to take the truth of God's word and communicate it in a way that is easy to understand and apply in our lives. Some people think that the reason Patrick was so successful in Ireland is because he'd spent six years there as a slave. He'd spent six years there as a commoner. Spent six years working along with other slaves, working on the farm. He knew the culture. He knew the people. He knew the way that they lived and the way that they spoke. And so he could take these truths of God that he had studied and as a pastor for 20 years and take the context of the life that he had lived as a slave on Ireland and bring the two together. And God's word has this powerful, transforming truth. And when we communicate it in a way that can, can be understood, it brings about this difference in life. And that's what Jesus is speaking towards in Mark chapter 4 when he gives us this parable or story. Look with me at verse 3. Jesus says, hearken, or listen up. Behold, there went out a sower to sow. And a sower is a farmer who's sowing seed. He's scattering seed. Now today a farmer would load all this into some big machinery, right? 
pull it behind a tractor on a combine and a planter would plant it. Back then, they would till up the ground and then they would go out with a pouch and they would throw the seed out into their field. And so he, he's talking about a farmer who goes out to sow his seed. Verse 4 says, And it came to pass as he sowed, some fell by the wayside and the fowls of the air, the birds came and devoured it up. And some fell on stony ground where it had not much earth. And immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, it was scorched because it had no root and it withered away. And some fell among thorns. And the thorns, they grew up and choked it and it yielded no fruit. But other fell on good ground and did yield fruit that sprang up and increased and brought forth some thirty, some sixty, and some a hundred. Some of those seeds, they landed in good soil. And the result of a seed landing in good soil is it brings about this harvest of 30 or 60 or 100x. 30 times. One seed producing 30 seeds or 60 seeds or 100 seeds. Verses 14 to 20 of this same chapter, Jesus' disciples come to them and they say, what does this mean? Jesus says, let me explain it to you. He tells them, he says, listen, the seed that fell by the wayside, that fell on the path, he said, that's like people who have a hard heart, that they will not receive the truth. They will not receive the message. And because it's sitting on the path, it's next to the the field where everybody's walked and they've packed the ground because it won't go in. The birds swoop in and they, they take it away. A good example of this would be someone that we share the message with and they don't even really hear us. The birds of distraction and other things that are going on come in and swoop it away and they even forget about the invitation or the message that was shared with them. He says that's the the pathway, the the wayside. Then he talks to them about the stony ground. The stony ground is the ground where somebody, they hear the message and they want it, but they don't put down any roots. They don't make any connection to God's word and his truth. And while they make some initial fast growth. There's nothing for them to sustain, nothing for them to hold on. And so because they have no roots, when things get tough, when the sun comes up, when persecution comes, they wither away. Then he said there's the thorny ground. The thorny ground is where the seed lands and it starts to grow, but there are all these things that are sucking the life out of the plant. The thorns and the weeds come around and it is never able to produce fruit because of all of these things that are surrounding it. An example of that would be someone who hears the message and they want it in their life, but because of all of these sins that they have themselves involved in, because of all of these worldly entertainments that they are wrapped up in, they can't give themselves to the message of the gospel because they're distracted. It's when someone takes the gospel and tries to add it to everything else in their life, and there's no room for it. But he says the good ground. The good ground is like a seed that lands in soft soil. The soil receives it, and the plant puts down roots and it reproduces 30, 60, 100-fold. Patrick's strategy in Ireland of going from town to town, finding people who would respond to the message, and then taking some of those people to then plant them in the next town, what he was doing is he was constantly reinvesting the seeds that were produced into new crops in new churches. He was constantly taking the message as it made a difference in someone's life and it brought someone else to the gospel. He took those people and carried them to the next town so that they could share the gospel with others. He was like a farmer who plants the seed and when the plant comes up, he takes some of those seeds and he holds them for the next crop. He holds them for the next field. It reproduces. And some of the plants, they've reproduced 30-fold or 60-fold or 100-fold. And from 
Patrick's evangelism, sharing the news, and discipleship, making sure people continued in their journey with Christ, they were able to reach so many people that 100 years after Patrick came back to Ireland, one generation later, Ireland was considered to be completely evangelized. Why is there a St. Patrick's Day? Because of his willingness and obedience to follow the call, his willingness to disciple people and take them from city to city, planting churches in all of these towns. There was 30 and 60 and 100x reproduction of the mission of the gospel. And there was a revival. That's what revival is. When something that is dead is brought back to life. And Ireland was brought back to life because of the efforts of Patrick. Some people actually believe that this revival that took place in Ireland saved civilization. You say, what do you mean it saved civilization? Right about this time that Patrick came to Ireland, Rome fell. And when Rome fell, the barbarians swept over Europe and conquered all the lands. And they would burn the libraries, burn the monasteries, burn all of these gatherings of books. But because Patrick had spread the message of Christianity and all of the people wanted to learn scripture and learn about God. They had books and they developed monasteries and libraries in Ireland and those barbarians never made it over to Ireland. And so those books that were destroyed in Europe, they were held onto in Ireland. And most of what we know about medieval culture actually has a very strong Irish influence because when the barbarians receded, it was Ireland's influence that came back into Europe. God changed the world through Patrick's obedience and his discipleship of these people. And for us, it might seem hard to imagine that God could do something so powerful, so incredible through just one man's obedience. But Jesus tells us that this is the way the gospel works. Look down towards the end of Mark chapter 4, where we read in verse 30 that Jesus makes another parable or another analogy of what the gospel is like. He says in verse 30, Whereunto shall we liken the kingdom of God? And with what comparison shall we compare it? It's like a grain of mustard seed, which when it is sown in the earth, is less than all the seeds that be in the earth. But when it is sown... It groweth up and be greater, becomes greater than all the herbs and shooteth out great branches so that the fowls of the air, the birds of the air may lodge under the shadow of it. Jesus thinks about an example that they would understand. And many of these people would be farmers. They would have little herb gardens. They would grow wheat and they would grow these crops. And Jesus said, the gospel is like the smallest seed you know about, a mustard seed. We're going to show you a picture of just how small a mustard seed is. It just fits on the edge of your finger. And the mustard seed so much smaller than all of these other seeds that they would have been familiar with. But when the mustard seed is planted and it puts down roots and it begins to grow, it becomes not a plant but a tree that shoots out branches that birds can build nests in. And something as small as a mustard seed brings about this great change in the garden through the mustard tree. What happened in Ireland was the small thing of the gospel taking root in hearts and lives and making this difference. And all of this transformation came as a result of the planting of those gospel seeds. Lent is a season of repentance and Lent is a season of renewal. That's what we've been focusing on these last few weeks. But Lent is also a season of revival because when we repent, we turn from our sin to follow Jesus and we're renewed, we're reminded of this commitment we made to be close to Christ. When there is repentance and renewal, it will bring about this harvest of revival. 
What happened is Patrick went to Ireland and he begins to preach the gospel and people repent of their sins. They're renewed in their life and in their faith and it brings about this revival. Revival is the harvest that follows seasons of repentance and renewal. Today is the first day of our revival. And what we do on a regular basis is we have a week that we set aside as a week of revival and we invite special guest speakers to come and preach to us. And we call it revival because it's a time that we're going to come to church more often than we normally would and we're going to welcome in these guest speakers. But it's not really a fitting name because revival is not having a series of services. Revival is what happens when God's people repent of their sin and are renewed in their faith and revival is the effect what happens after that. Now, we call it revival because that's what we hope is going to happen. We hope that when we have these services that there's going to be the repentance of sin. There's going to be this renewal of faith. There's going to be this coming closer to Jesus. That's what we're hoping is going to happen. That's what we're praying is going to happen. So we name it in anticipation and hope of that. But revival is not a week of services. Revival is the effect or the impact of us repenting of our sins and being renewed in our faith. This term revival came from what happened uh, in the early years. In the 1700s, Jonathan Edwards was a part of the Great Awakening, which was this revival where churches sprang up all over. People repented of their sins, renewed in their faith, and churches just started appearing. People didn't have to go plant the churches. There were just so many people coming to know Christ that there had to be more churches. Did you know that right now, right now that there is no town in America, no town in America that has more churches than it did 50 years ago? And I know that it feels like there's just so many churches. I mean, Chandler has like nine churches. One of them's Korean. I mean, we just got plenty. If we got so many churches, we got a Korean church in Chandler. Surely that we got... The truth is, we don't, we don't have near as many churches as we used to. Did you know that in America right now, that if as many people who claim to go to church, not if everybody went to church, but as many people who claim to go to church went to church, we wouldn't have place for them. And all of the churches in America, if everybody who just claims to go to church went to church, When there was revival in America in the 1700s, churches had to be built because there was all of these people that wanted to follow closely after God. There was this season of repentance and renewal, and it brought about revival. Now, because people wanted to experience that, they started having revival meetings. They started having services and calling it revival. They were called revivalists because they desperately wanted to experience the revival that had taken place back in the day. But you can't work it up. You can't hold enough services that revival happens. There has to be repentance and renewal. And so revival doesn't look like having special services. Revival doesn't look like having camp meetings, which is when all the community would come together and they'd put a tent in the middle of town and they'd have a guest speaker. That could happen and there'd be no revival. Revival looks like when people are turning their lives over to God and it's bringing about a transformation. A good example of it is the Welsh revival, which took place in 1905. And when the revival took place, incidents of public drunkenness fell by 50%. The jails were empty. 
coal mines in Wales actually lost production for a little bit of time and then it went back up. And the reason that they had a dip in production is because so many coal miners came to know the Lord and stopped cursing that the donkeys who pulled the coal carts didn't know what they were saying. It was like they were speaking a completely different language. There had been this transformation in the people. There had been this renewal, this repentance, and that is what brought about revival. And you know how that started? Because in the fall of 1903, this pastor in this little church in New Quay, Wales, his name is Joseph Jenkins, he scheduled a special time for his church that they will, quote, deepen our loyalty to Christ. And after they went through that season of deepening their loyalty to Christ, the Sunday morning services following it, and this is what what it says, they became lively. In other words, people were experiencing God do this great thing in their hearts and lives, and when they gathered on Sunday, it was just flowing out of them. That was revival. And it began to spread. Revival is the result of crops taking root in our hearts and lives and reproducing 30, 60 100 fold. We've been watching a little house on the prairie with our kids. Just recently was added to Amazon Prime, and it's good, clean television. You can watch it with your children, not be afraid of what they're going to see or hear. Can I tell you what I've realized by watching just like four episodes of Little House on the Prairie? We are wimps, man. Like, that was hard work. Everything was hard. Everything was hard. And I mean, these first, it's like, the main character, their father, Charles Ingalls, he's, he is slaving. You know, he's working in the morning at a mill and then working in the evening at the feed and seed store, like building this roof so that he can have enough money to buy land. And now that he's bought the land, now he had, needs to have enough money so that he can buy seed. And now that he's bought the seed, now he needs enough money that he can buy a plow. Now that he has a plow, he has to earn enough money so he can buy oxen to pull the plow. And there's all this work that just goes into him being able to plant the seed because finally the land that he bought has been tilled up. And then there's this, this episode where he's, he's walking in this field of golden waves of grain. And it's beautiful, not just because it looks amazing, but you know all the sweat and toil that he put into that happening. For there to be this harvest, for there to be all this grain, he's walking in these acres of this farm that he's been pouring his life into. And in watching that, you know what I, I thought? Man, the harvest is hard work. And I am so thankful that I, I don't have to buy the land or the seed or the plow. Jesus paid the price for all that. He made it possible for the seed of the gospel to be planted in our hearts and lives. There's not all these hoops that we need to jump through before we can come to know Christ. There's not all these hoops that we have to jump through before we can have the seed of the gospel placed in our hearts and lives. Jesus paid for that. He made it available. And we're just soil. Are we open and willing for Him to plant the seed in our hearts? Lent is pointing us. This season that we're in is pointing us towards Easter. It's pointing towards Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. And we're celebrating the fact that Jesus paid the price on the cross so that that seed could be planted in our hearts and lives. Maybe you're thinking, well, how, do, how, does, this, how does this happen? Let's look at one more parable in Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4 and verse 26 says, And he said, so is the kingdom of God, as if a man should cast seed into the ground and should sleep and rise night and day and the seed should spring and grow up, 
He knoweth not how. For the earth bringeth forth fruit of herself, first the blade, then the ear, and after that the full ear of corn. But when the fruit is brought forth, immediately he putteth in the sickle, because the harvest is come. The harvest is hard work, but Jesus paid the price for the seed. The harvest is hard work, but the Spirit of God brings about the growth. Jesus said the kingdom of God is like a man who spreads the seed and that he goes to bed, because what else can he do? He's got to wait for the ground to bring forth the crop. He could stare at it all night. He could lose sleep, but he's not going to make it come up. Can I tell you that I'm a, I'm a lot like the farmer? It's my job to share the word with you and to share the truth with you. But after that, I can't make you change. I can't make you commit. I can't make you experience this transformation in your life. I can't follow you home after the service. That'd be kind of creepy, right? I can't text you every day to make sure you're doing the right thing. I can't knock on your door Friday evening at 7 p.m. to ask you what you're up to this weekend. I can't be everywhere and make sure you're doing the right thing. I can't force anybody to get sober. I can't force anyone to stay with their spouse. I can't force anyone to be wise with their money. Trust me, I have tried to do those things, and it doesn't work. It's like a farmer planting the seed. I can share the seed, and then God will do the work if we'll let him. And the Spirit will bring about this transformation in us if we'll let him. And revival happens not when we work it up or I convince you to make some change or I force you to come to some service. Revival happens when we open our hearts to the work of the Lord and the Spirit brings us along. And what happens is when the Spirit of God gets a hold of someone, it changes the way that we think. And it doesn't just reinvigorate our conscience. We talked about our conscience last Sunday. It replaces our conscience. Do you know that the second most translated book, second to the Bible, is Pinocchio? The story of Pinocchio. And the story of Pinocchio has been told several different ways, including Disney's classic adaptation of the story of Pinocchio. The basic premise is the story of this boy who's not a real boy. He's a puppet. And because he's a puppet, he doesn't have a conscience. Now, in the book, he is given a conscience in the form of a cricket, but in the book, the cricket's never named because Pinocchio kills him almost immediately. He smashes the cricket with a mallet so that he won't have to listen to what he's telling him about the way that he's acting. Does that sound familiar to anybody? Your spirit begins to convince you, and you're like, no. So he kills the cricket in the book, but then the cricket comes back in the form of a ghost. The ghosts are creepy, but a cricket ghost is really creepy, Right? <laughs> I don't know if you've ever had a cricket in your house and you're trying to sleep and it's making noise and it's chirping and you find it and you kill it. Imagine going to bed and there it comes back again because now the ghost is chirping. <laughs> this cricket continues to whisper to Pinocchio. In the Disney movie, the cricket lives and he is given the name Jiminy Cricket and he has this song, right? And he's telling Pinocchio, if you need some help, you need some guidance, just give a whistle and I'll come along. He says, when you get in trouble and you don't know right from wrong, when you meet temptation and the urge is very strong, take the straight and narrow path if you start to slide. Give a little whistle and always let your conscience be your guide. Can I tell you? Don't let, the, don't let your conscience be your guide. Because your conscience is broken like the rest of you. And this world will work so hard to give us a conscience that gets upset about things that don't matter and not be upset about the things that really do matter. You want examples of the broken conscience of this world? Look at the things that we're currently outraged about and the things that we don't really care about anymore. Our conscience, our collective conscience has been broken. 
And so the revival is not us reinvigorating our conscience, but rather revival is when the Holy Spirit comes into our lives and replaces our conscience. I don't, don't do things because I feel bad if I don't, or I don't stay away from things because I'll feel bad if I do them. I do things because the Holy Spirit leads me in that direction, and I'm following His guidance. And if we'll follow the leading of the Spirit, it'll make all the difference in the world. And you know what's great? I can't go with you wherever you go but the Holy Spirit can. I can't answer all of your questions, but the Holy Spirit can. And if we'll listen to Him, if we'll pay attention to Him, He will lead us in the way that we need to go. This conference that I went to this past week, I, uh, I shared a rental car and, uh, and, and uh, housing with a couple guys just trying to save some costs. And I didn't know where I was going. I was driving. I said, hey, man, Jamie Lee, who's one of our church planners in Illinois, I said, hey, you navigate for me. Look up the address of the place we're going on your phone, and you just tell me where to go. And you go, yeah, man, sure thing. And so he looks it up, and you got Google Maps, and Google Maps will lead us right where we need to go. But there'd be stretches where there'd be you know, 9 or 10 miles before our next turn. We'd be driving along, and I'd look over at Jamie, and, and he's looking at ESPN on his phone, you know, or he's checking Facebook. I'd be like, hey, Jamie, how are we doing? Oh, yeah, yeah, let me get back over to Maps. What kept happening is he was getting distracted from the map that was going to guide us where we needed to go when we missed our turns. I fired Jamie as navigator. <laughs> and the Holy Spirit will lead us if we'll listen. And revival is when we put out all the distractions and we turn from our sin and we're renewed in our faith and we say, I'm going to follow you, Lord. I'm going to follow where you guide. The truth is that we all need this constant reminder. We need to be nudged. And just like Patrick helped these people by going and sharing the gospel with them in Ireland and then saying, come along with me to the next village and walk with me and learn from me the message of Jesus Christ so you can experience the power of the Holy Spirit in your own life. He was following the example of Jesus who did the same thing with his disciples. He said, come along with me. Let me show you the path. Let me introduce you to the Spirit who will lead you wherever you go. And when it came time for Jesus to die on the cross, the disciples said, we don't want you to go. And Jesus said, oh, it's better that I do go. Because if I go, the Spirit comes. And when I go, the Spirit comes and He will lead you and guide you wherever you need to go. And this is what happens in discipleship. Discipleship is what happens when we stay focused on the guidance of Jesus in our lives. The world wants to constantly guide, distract us from the guidance God gives us, but repentance and renewal brings us back to that guidance the Lord is bringing in our lives. We have a Free Will Baptist church in Hera, Oklahoma. Our church in Hera, Oklahoma is pastored by a man named Chris Moy. His last name is M-O-I-X. Chris's wife's name is Rachel. Rachel passed away this past February, bone cancer. She's only 48 years old. One of my buddies, Casey, he went to the funeral lives nearby, he knew the family, he wanted to be there and go to the funeral there at Herod Church and Rachel's celebration of life, there's hundreds of people, 500, 600 people at this funeral service. The man who's sharing at the beginning, he says that, that Rachel was passionate about discipleship. And he said, so now we're going to hear from some, some of the women that Rachel discipled in her various churches that she served in. And one after one, like eight to ten women come up and they, they stand at the podium and they talk about how Rachel made this difference in their lives. 
And we've got a picture of Rachel. We'll, we'll show you with her family, Chris and Rachel. These eight, the ten women, they share. And the guy gets up and he says, not everybody could, could have a moment to share this funeral service. I, I looked at it online. It was two and a half hours. He said, because not everybody could share, we want to, everyone here who's been discipled by Rachel, would you stand up? My buddy Casey says, you know, I'm a pastor. I'm looking around and I'm counting. He says, over 20 women stand up to say that they were discipled by Rachel. She introduced them to Jesus, helped them live a life of repentance and renewal. And the pastor says, please, please stay standing. He says, if you're here today and you were discipled by one of these women that are standing, would you stand up? It's like 60 women are standing. He says, please stay standing. He says, if you were discipled by any of these women who are currently standing, would you stand up? See, there was the generation of women that Rachel discipled, and the generation that those women discipled, and the third generation that those women discipled. And it was over 100 women. You know what that is? That's 100x reproduction. That's a seed bearing fruit, some 30, some 60, some 100-fold. That's revival. True revival is when repentance and renewal in the lives of believers brings about this 30, 60, 100-fold return. My buddy Casey looked at me and he said, he said, man, she only had 48 years She reproduced in a hundred people. He says, a whole lot more life in those 48 years than someone who lives to be 80 doesn't pass it on. Revival is when we repent and when we are renewed, and that reproduces in the lives around us. That's what revival is. Aspire heads for a word of prayer.